Hey guys, I'm Kelsey, and you're listening to Crime with a K. Yep, it's just my today, but with today's case, it is a long one, so don't worry, I'm still blessing you. So no chase today. Just me, but in order for me and us to get you up an episode this week, just with schedules, it was just me. And so today, jumping into coffee of the day, I'm actually not having a coffee. I'm having a smoothie, very different, no caffeine. And it's vanilla Greek yogurt, it's banana, frozen strawberries, and water. And cinnamon. Well, I forgot the cinnamon, but usually it has cinnamon. And pro tip, freeze your bananas and then you don't have to use ice in your smoothie because it makes it really creamy. And usually I'll add dates to this one and then it's like the, what's it called? Smoothie King. The Smoothie King PB Hit Fit, I think it's called. It's so good. But that and then a glass of water because I'm kind of recording at an odd time. And so today's case, since I don't really have anybody to banter with, we're going to jump right into it. And this is all the rage. So first off, this is a listener request. So Susan, thank you for sending this in. When I went into my office, Susan pulled me aside and she's like, Queen, have you seen this episode? And have you heard about this case? And I hadn't. And it's actually kind of interesting because this request actually came in at the exact same time that I bought and started reading the book. I think I talked about it last episode. And then as I'm reading the book, the movie was playing on the plane when I was coming home from Massachusetts. So I don't know if this is all like the universe sharing with me my ultimate demise, but it was kind of crazy that I was surrounded by all of this at the exact same time. So one of my favorite movies is Gone Girl. I love a movie with a twist like Gone Girl, Shutter Island, The Girl on the Train, all of those types. I love those kind of movies. And those are the kind of books I read too. So if you want book recommendations, I post them on my Instagram. But I ended up buying the book of Gone Girl because one, I like to read books, but two, I also like to read books for the movies that I watch where the crawdad sings. The book is way better than the movie. Like just disclaimer. But if you haven't seen Gone Girl, the plot is essentially, and just kind of skip this part if you want the movie to stay a surprise, but Basically, a guy returns home to find his wife missing, the media scoops up the wife's disappearance, and they're suspicious of the husband, the husband doesn't buy that his wife is missing, and then a lot of stuff comes out about the husband, and the media thinks it was him who did it, and that she was actually murdered, and that she's not missing. In the end, it was all the woman, the wife. She was trying to pin her murder on her husband, so she made herself disappear, and then at the end of the movie, she reappears and coerces her husband to stay with her and keep the secret, and bada bing, bada boom, it was a fake kidnapping, all that. So today's case is based off of not only Gone Girl, but a case that took place shortly after the movie Gone Girl came out. And investigators didn't really believe it was true. So today's case is based off of the Netflix documentary that or docuseries that just came out called American Nightmare. I watched it. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Like if there is a docuseries that you could watch around true crime right now, it would be that because this is nuts. But we're going to dive into it today. So on March 23rd, 2015, the Vallejo, California police had their own case of a gone girl. But this one was far more sinister than the Hollywood thriller. Our story begins in the afternoon of Monday, March 23rd, 2015 at 1.54 p.m. Police in Vallejo, California received a phone call from a 30-year-old man named Aaron Quinn. 
Now, Vallejo, California might perk up some ears if you're an avid true crime fan, like myself, and that is because the infamous Zodiac Killer first came to light in Vallejo, California in 1969. Aaron lived on Mare Island in Vallejo, California, and was calling the police to report that his girlfriend, Denise, had been kidnapped. Within two minutes, which is quite unheard of, two Vallejo police officers arrived at Aaron's home on Mare Island, and Aaron told the police, now who were at his home, the same story that he told the 911 dispatcher, that his girlfriend had been kidnapped and he didn't know who'd taken her. Allegedly, the first question that the police asked Aaron was, quote, are you on drugs? (laughs) Which apparently, this was because Aaron looked like a disheveled mess and had slurred speech. Aaron said, yes, actually, I am. And this was because he was on drugs because he had been drugged by the kidnappers, as he told police. The cops noted that when they first entered the home, they heard an alarm system. The ones that go beep, beep, beep. Police found the source of the beeping, and they noticed that it was actually coming from a surveillance camera that was taped to the wall. One of the officers unplugged the camera and removed it from the wall. And this officer also noticed that there was quite a bit of red tape on the floor in the kitchen. The tape had marked out different zones in different areas. While looking around the kitchen, police noticed a lot of empty beer bottles littered around the trash. Police asked Aaron if he'd been drinking, to which he said no. He said that he just went around and collected the beer bottles before taking them out to the recycling. Also noticed by police were two lowball whiskey glasses in the sink. When asked about them, Aaron said that they were from the night before. Officers noticed a third lowball glass on the coffee table, and Aaron said that one was for water. The officer then told Aaron to go outside and sit on the front steps with the second officer, while the first officer would go and search the home. They then told Aaron that they needed to take him down to the police station for a blood sample. This would be only a 10-minute drive, so he could come home right afterwards while looking for Denise. Aaron was put in the car, and on the ride, the officers asked Aaron if he and Denise had been fighting, to which Aaron said, Yes, we have been fighting, and quite a bit recently. Aaron said that he'd been struggling to get over his former fiancé and may have been caught doing something he shouldn't have, but he said that Denise had forgiven him and they had a good night the night prior. So let's do a little background on Denise and Aaron and this fiancé fiasco. So Denise Huskins, the missing girlfriend, was born on June 30th, 1987 in California to her parents, her father Michael Huskins and her mother Jane Rommel. Denise spent her early years in Huntington Beach, California, alongside her two siblings, and she lived a pretty good life. In May of 2009, Denise earned her Bachelor of Science degree in Kinesiology and Exercise Science with a minor in Business Entrepreneurship from California State University. I have no idea if it's kinesiology, but again, like I'm a tech girly, so I'm so sorry. She then went on to obtain her doctorate in physical therapy from Long Island University in Brooklyn. Denise and Aaron crossed paths in June of 2014 in Vallejo, California, as they both worked as physical therapists at the same hospital. Denise described their connection as being, quote, drawn together. Aaron was born in Rutland, Vermont in November of 1984. But at some point when he was a little, I don't know, him and his family up and moved to California, and that's where he was raised for majority of his life. Aaron, at the time, was a physical therapist who worked at Kaiser Hospital in Vallejo. Though the two were very drawn to each other, there was just one slightly big problem. And Aaron said, quote, I was very conflicted because I obviously was attracted to Denise 
and I had just gotten out of a relationship with a fiancé who had cheated on me, and I also didn't trust myself anymore. Though he was struggling, Denise said, quote, I could see Aaron, who Aaron was, and the man he was, and the good in him. I knew that he'd been a great partner and would be a great partner, but I could see that he was struggling. However, Aaron was not really being as faithful as he should have been to his new girlfriend, Denise. In February 2015, Denise learned that Aaron had been messaging his ex-fiance about getting back together. She said it was absolutely devastating. Quote, I finally just put my foot down and said, look, I don't deserve this. And it was a couple of weeks of kind of going back and forth. Once at the police station, Aaron gave a blood sample and all of his clothing so that they could process them for any evidence. Aaron was given a white t-shirt to wear for the time being and pants that had a thick black and white stripes along them, aka prison pants. They even had the popular logo, Solano Prison. Not to be confused with Nike or Juicy, even Adidas. Nope, these were the Solano Prison Originals. They did this because they wanted Aaron to stand out, and they wanted to make him uncomfortable, so that if he were the, quote, kidnapper, he'd be more likely to confess under stress. DNA was also taken with a swab of Aaron's mouth. Police did not give Aaron any socks, underwear, shoes, and though this does seem harsh, the statistic is that 70-78% to of women who are kidnapped or murdered are typically done so by a romantic partner, so it's really not out of the question for police to suspect the boyfriend first. The other thing that police had to make sure of was that Denise had actually been kidnapped and not murdered, and there was a lot of processing and vetting that had to take place before anything was done. Once he was given his new change of clothes, Aaron was sat down in the interrogation room for some questioning. Aaron began to spill thy tea. Aaron said, and get ready for this because this is crazy. Aaron said that the previous night, the couple made a plan to meet at Aaron Quinn's home in Mare Island to decide if they wanted to continue on with their relationship after everything that had happened. He and Denise had sat down and they had a real serious heart to heart about being better in their relationship and where they wanted this relationship to progress and how Aaron cannot be a S-head. Denise later said, quote, I brought pizza and we sat on the couch most of the night and talked. We talked about how it would be difficult and we had to rebuild trust, but as long as he was willing to really give this a full shot, then we could try again. And Aaron said that after the conversation, they went to sleep around midnight. Both of them said that it felt like they were having a, quote, fresh start. Aaron said that the couple was woken up around 3 a.m. by a strange man who'd broken into the house. The man woke them up by saying, quote, wake up. This is a robbery. We are not here to hurt you. This voice, this person, who later became known as, quote, the voice, was purposely trying to disguise their voice by emphasizing every word and making themselves sound like a robot. Denise said, quote, I remember being asleep and hearing a voice and thinking it was a dream, but the voice kept talking and I just remember my eyes shot open, and I could see the whirls illuminated with a white light that was flashing, and I could see a couple of red laser dots crossing the wall, and I could hear, wake up, this is a robbery, we're not here to hurt you, and in that moment, I just thought, oh my god, this is not a dream. Aaron said that there were really bright lights in the room with two or three red laser dots moving around. Aaron said that it felt like there were several people, definitely three, and they knew that he and Denise were outnumbered. Aaron said that the men were all wearing wetsuits. Wetsuits. He said that it looked like they were about to go scuba diving. 
I'd be like, people, <laughs> this is not the ocean. This is this is my bedroom. There's no ponds. There's no water here. Please find yourself out, you Martian people. The voice then told Denise and Aaron to lay on the bed face down on their stomachs. The voice then gave Denise zip ties and told her to use them and to tie her boyfriend's hands and feet. The voice also referred to Aaron by name, letting Aaron and Denise know that he knew who Aaron was. Aaron told police that the moment was so shocking that it froze him in his tracks. Denise then tied the zip ties around Aaron's wrist and ankles, and then the intruder told her to walk to the bedroom closet. Denise said that while she was walking to the closet, she noticed two sets of legs from what she believed to be two different people in the bedroom. Denise said that when she entered the closet, the robotic-sounding man tied her up inside, and then brought Aaron to the closet and placed him inside. The intruder then covered their eyes with swimming goggles that had been covered in duct tape. This was done in order to block their sight, and he then put headphones on them. When asked about if there was any noise or music playing in the headphones, Denise later said, quote, There were these pre-recorded messages. Quote, they said that they were going to give us a sedative, and if we didn't take it, then they would be injected intravenously. Aaron told police that his pre-recorded message referred to him by name. At that moment, he said he thought to himself, quote, we're in a lot of trouble and this is definitely planned. Aaron told police that the messages indicated that any noncompliance would be punished by face cutting or electric shock. Aaron had also told police that when the intruder first entered the home, there were sounds of what seemed like a stun gun. And Aaron stated that the kidnappers had poured what he thought was NyQuil and another sedative down his throat. He then began shivering and asked the kidnappers for a blanket. The kidnapper said, quote, a blanket? Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot how cold it was because we're wearing wetsuits. He handed Aaron a blanket, and then the kidnappers made a mistake. The intruder then brought Aaron down to the couch, and then he heard one of the kidnappers say, quote, we have a problem. This was intended for Andrea. Andrea was Aaron's ex-fiance, who he'd broken up with months before and who had been living at the house previously. The kidnappers didn't care, though. They told Aaron that they were going to take Denise anyways because he could still pay them enough money and they'd make her worth their while. The kidnappers told Aaron that it would be, quote, $15,000. They then told Aaron that they would be installing a camera to monitor his every move so that no police would be involved. They then scooped up Denise and took her out of the room and brought her to Aaron's car, which was a Toyota. They loaded Denise into the trunk and they left. Lieutenant Kenny Park, who I have no idea if is still employed or not, was assigned to the case, and Lieutenant Kenny Park was not having it. As authorities were listening to Aaron's story, they can't help but raise their suspicions. A bunch of men appearing in the middle of the night wearing wetsuits with robotic-sounding voices and planned-out noise-canceling headphone messages? Yeah, that's a little weird. Police also brought in the ex, Andrea. Andrea shared with police that... Aaron was messy Bessie, and Aaron was trying to get back together with her, that he'd come into her office because she and Aaron and Denise all worked together as physical therapists at the same office, Andrea, Aaron, and Denise. So Aaron would come into Andrea's office and try to hug her and kiss her and try to get back together with her while he's with Denise, okay? I know that that's like the least scandalous part of this story, but like Aaron, honey, we need to, we should have done better. Police contact Denise's parents, and they notify them that Denise had been kidnapped. 
Now, Denise's family had not yet met Aaron because this was still a brand new relationship. Though they assumed that Aaron was a good guy since all of the guys that Denise had dated were nice enough, they weren't sure. So they too began to have their suspicions. Officers at the Vallejo, California Police Department did not believe Aaron, and they didn't believe him in the slightest. Investigators right then and there decided that Aaron Quinn was guilty, and not just of kidnapping, but of murder. Police in Vallejo, California believed that Denise was dead, and that her boyfriend, Aaron Quinn, was guilty of her murder. Police held Aaron in the station for questioning for over 18 hours, pressuring him to confess to a crime that he was claiming he didn't commit. In the Netflix documentary, American Nightmare, and like, you guys should all go watch it because this officer has to feel like a damn fool, a police security camera replays the eerie interview where Aaron states, quote, I didn't do anything, and the officer quickly shuts him down by saying, quote, yeah, you did. Watching that, because I actually watched it last night, this officer, he was like, look, Aaron, I I can't even do it, look, Aaron, I put... I put puzzles together for a living and I'm putting this puzzle together and I'm finding all the pieces and I'm I'm like, dude, you look so bad. And like, I'm sorry, but whoever has you doing their puzzles needs to tap in and sub you out because you're not good at this. I don't know what puzzles you put together, but I'm telling you the picture came out wrong. Though police deemed Aaron guilty right off the bat, they did still have to work the case as an open investigation because they were deeming murder and they had no body. So it was still an open investigation. On March 24th, 2015, in a Vallejo Police Department press conference, authorities suggested that 29-year-old Denise Huskins was kidnapped for ransom and asked the community for help in their search. Lieutenant Kenny Park, who led the investigation, said that they were doing everything they could to locate Denise, who was reportedly forcibly taken against her will the day prior. On March 24th, while Vallejo police crews searched for Denise Huskins, the search crews focused on Mare Island and the surrounding areas. Crews were using sonar along the Mare Island waterfront to help aid in the search, and more than 100 trained search personnel spent the day near Mare Island because of its proximity to where Denise had gone missing. But investigators said that there was no specific tip leading them to the area. But then, something crazy happens. On March 25th, 2015, at 9.09 a.m., Denise's father, Mike Huskins, calls police and tells them that Denise just called her and let him know that she is walking to his house on 19th Street in Huntington Beach, California, which was about 400 miles from where she had been kidnapped on Mare Island. There is surveillance footage of Denise calmly walking up to her father's house, wearing baggy sweatpants, a zip-up sweatshirt, carrying a duffel bag, and wearing sunglasses. On March 27, 2015, within hours after Denise had been surprisingly showing up and returning to her father's in Huntington Beach, Vallejo police said that they found absolutely no proof of a kidnapping, and they announced that they believed that the entire thing was a hoax. When I tell you, and I don't swear much, but when I tell you that he was a pompous asshole, oh boy, Mr. Kenny Park, you you actually look like a damn fool, but... He told Denise and Aaron on national television that they wasted time, money, and resources of the community. He also said that none of the family members of the Huskins or Quinn household were talking to them, when in reality, the police had stopped reaching out. There was also a chance that the Vallejo Police Department were going to file charges against the two of them. Denise and Aaron were both completely horrified. A hoax? And announcing it to the entire community? 
Denise Huskins immediately lawyered up because she wasn't lying and she was not going to be made out to be a fool or accused of something that wasn't true. Denise shared with police the exact same story that Aaron had shared with them only 48 hours earlier. Denise Huskins' attorney then came out and made a public statement claiming that Denise Huskins' abduction was not staged as the Vallejo police were making it seem. And they weren't the only ones who thought that. On Tuesday, March 24th, 2015, the San Francisco Chronicle began receiving some strange emails. The day before this, a Vallejo physical therapist named Aaron Quinn had called police to report that his living girlfriend and co-worker, Denise Huskins, had been kidnapped by one or more intruders who were demanding fifteen dollars to $17,000 in ransom. Search teams had been dispatched, the victim's family was pleading for her return, and the town was in a complete fear and desperation. And the Chronicle's crime reporter, Henry Lee, was stationed outside Aaron's home on Mare Island, waiting for any sort of update. But an email pinged Henry Lee's phone at 12.24 p.m. as he was standing outside the house. And when he looked down and read the message, he was shocked, because the subject line read, quote, Denise. The message continued in the email, and it said, quote, will be returned safely Wednesday. We will send a link to her location after she has been dropped off. She will be in good health and safe while she waits. Any advance on us or our associates will create a dangerous situation for Denise. Also included in the message was an audio clip, quote, a proof of life recording. It said, quote, my name is Denise Huskins and I'm kidnapped. Otherwise, I'm fine. That morning, on March 24th, the co-pilot of a commercial plane flying from Spain to Germany had purposely brought it down in the French Alps, killing all 150 aboard. Which, by the way, I looked into for this case. I was like, oh, I don't remember that. My anxiety to fly went up about 20 notches because I hate, I low-key, I love traveling, but I hate flying. I'm, I'm like a nervous Nelly on there. I should not have looked into that I, and don't look into it because it'll just scare you. So just, just don't. But however, the woman on the recording did mention that incident. And she also recalled that she, the first band that she saw in concert was Blink-182. Henry Lee said later, quote, I'm looking around thinking, is someone playing a joke? Henry forwarded the message off to the Chronicle's then-editor-in-chief, Audrey Cooper, and they immediately decided to forward it to the Vallejo Police Department, hoping that they'd take it seriously and that something would be done. And then came another email, and this one was even more scary. Reporter Henry Lee received it on the afternoon of March 28, 2015, three days after the police had deemed Aaron and Denise liars and that the whole thing was a hoax. This email was titled, quote, Denise Huskins Kidnapping. The author called himself, quote, the kidnappers, and used an email address of, quote, none at nowhere.com. The author was absolutely furious with the police for doubting his crime, and this time the author included photos, including one of the room where he said Denise was held during her time with him. The email read, quote, we kidnapped Denise Huskins and held her for ransom after breaking into her home or in the home of Aaron Quinn. The kidnapping was not a hoax, and neither is this statement by us, the perpetrators. The writer went on to say that he, quote, would rather risk giving the police information that could lead them to catch us than live in a world where two fine people like Mr. Quinn and Miss Huskins could suffer a horrible crime and then have their lives further ruined by the response to it. There were an additional 9,500 words, which was a mix of, quote, facts, lies, and delusions. In the email that was sent to Henry, the kidnapper said he was part of a three-member gang of gentlemen criminals, Huskins and Quinn, 
Aaron and Denise, had said that at least three people entered their home. Though, to this day, which is so weird, no other suspects have been identified. I find that very scary because they both said that there were three people and this guy's admitting that there were three people. And just keep in mind, like when we go through this, there's more than one person, but only one person was was arrested. So I'm just, it's just California. Keep your eyes open. The kidnapper said that his experience with Denise Huskins had convinced him to stop victimizing people, though he never did actually stop. The email continued, quote, We began as occasional car thieves, progressed to an organized auto theft operation, diversified into burglary, and eventually settled on kidnapping for ransom as a means of making enough money to retire from criminality. The Mare Island kidnapping was a training mission for test means and methods that would be used on higher net worth targets. I'd be like, okay, guy, relax. Thank you. Again, the email was shared with the Vallejo police, and again, they didn't respond. And there was nothing provided in return, not even confidence that anything would be done. This kidnapper had detailed specific crimes he committed on Mare Island and elsewhere. Car thefts, home burglaries, but the problem was that nothing could be corroborated. To this day, it's not clear what it was true and what wasn't true. What, will it, <laughs> what Vallejo police actually thought, though, were that these emails were simply a cover-up for the hoax. The paper tried to go to Denise and Aaron to help prove their story, saying, we got these emails, can you guys back us up? But they really wanted nothing to do with anyone since the whole town believed that they were liars. So the paper wanted to do something. A week after the kidnapping, the Chronicle decided to publish an article about the emails. And the article read, quote, In the days since Vallejo police declared that the reported kidnapping of, woman, of a woman was a hoax, the Chronicle had received a series of emails from someone claiming to be one of her abductors, saying her ordeal was real and that they wanted to clear her name. Vallejo police and the FBI declined to speculate on whether the emails indicate that there was an abduction whether they are part of an ongoing hoax, or whether the sender has no connection to the case. And another tip had come in for the Vallejo police in this time, thus proving the innocence of Aaron and Denise again. As his girlfriend Denise's whereabouts were completely unknown, having been kidnapped without a trace, Aaron received phone calls from an unrecognized number that was quickly traced to a prepaid track phone purchased at a Target store in Pleasant Hill, California. Investigators then obtained surveillance images of a man buying the phone, and they also traced the calls to Aaron's phone to a location in South Lake Tahoe, California. Though these calls were coming in from towns nowhere near Mare Island, police had their blinders on, and all they were seeing was that this entire thing was a hoax. They called this California's own version of Gone Girl, a boyfriend desperately trying to cover the tracks of his girlfriend's murder, or maybe just maybe, she was in on it. And police apparently believed that the man captured on camera in Target was either Aaron Quinn or an accomplice that he'd hired. For nearly four months, Denise Askins and Aaron Quinn were branded, quote, Gone Girl, in reference to the Ben Affleck movie about a staged abduction that had come out less than a year earlier and had taken control of television screens around the country. Denise, like the lead girl in Gone Girl, was a blonde-haired gal who, just like the movie, had learned that her boyfriend was cheating on her. In the movie, the wife faked her own disappearance to set her husband up, making it look like he'd murdered her. So there was a lot of similarities to the case. And as she and Aaron begged the world to believe them, the Vallejo Police Department continued to wave them off. When suddenly, 
the couple, the couple, the couple, the couple was vindicated. A man had broken into a home in Dublin, California, and attacked another couple. But much like his first go with Denise and Aaron, he'd made yet another mistake. This time, instead of kidnapping the wrong woman, the kidnapper had left his phone behind. Quote, when he attempted to tie up the wife, the husband jumped across the bed and tackled the suspect. The suspect tried to get away, but he, in turn, hits the husband upside the head with a maglite-style flashlight and exits the house. But police in Dublin weren't like the police in Vallejo, and they believed those who came to them after a traumatic occurrence. This case in Dublin was led by a detective named Misty Caruso. The Dublin PD and Misty were able to track down their assailant, a man named Matthew Mueller. So, who was, and I guess is because he's actually still kicking, Matthew Mueller. Matthew Mueller, who we're going to call Mueller because that's what everybody calls him, was born in March of 1977 in California, and he lived with his family, Monty Mueller, and his mother, Joyce Mueller. Matthew was raised, or Mueller was raised, in a good home, but I couldn't find much more than that, so it could be bad, but like we won't ever know, but from what I read, I don't think he had a bad home life. I think it was more of mental illness that plays a role in this. Mueller was a good kid, and he wasn't someone that people said caused any trouble or had any issues, and he was extremely smart. Right out of high school, Mueller joined the Marine Corps, Semper Fi, and he wasn't even in combat, but he was stationed at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego, then at Camp Pendleton at the Naval School of Music in Little Creek, Virginia, and at the Three Marine Expeditionary, what does that say? Expeditionary, my brother would actually kill me because he's a Marine, Expeditionary Force in Okinawa, Japan. Mueller also served in the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing in El Toro through a stint that lasted from October 2nd, 1995 to August 8th, 1999. Mueller was also musically gifted, so he was the trumpeter in the Marine Corps Band, which I have seen live in D.C., and it's very good. And if you ever get a chance to go to a Marine Corps birthday celebration, it's pretty cool. I would 10 out of 10 recommend. Pentagon records do show that Mueller rose to the level of sergeant and he played the trumpet. (laughs) Two, two very good achievements, which was something that he also did while he was in high school. He also won the National Defense Service Medal, the Sea Service Deployment Ribbon, the Good Conduct Medal, and the Nave Marine Corps Achievement Medal. It's not known how he was discharged, but honestly, I think he just hit his time and then got out. So again, no issues. After the Marines, Mueller enrolled at Pomona College, where he graduated summa cum laude with degrees in economics and public policy analysis. Then he went on to get a graduate degree from Harvard, and he did really well there, too. A former classmate, Noah Helpern, went to, go, went to both undergraduate and graduate school with Mueller and said, quote, Despite going to both Pomona and Harvard with him, I didn't know him especially well. Certainly never observed any mental illness, just a lot of intelligence and a lot of drive. And in 2011, an immigration law firm that Mueller was working for, Reeves and Associates, sued Mueller for allegedly sleeping in their offices and stealing client information and passwords with the hunch that he wanted to start his own firm. Surveillance footage even showed Mueller, quote, late at night walking into a room at the firm with a couch carrying a sleeping bag. The suit claimed, and then later, allegedly, also stole software. Passwords, training guides, and the boss's archived emails were also stolen. Mueller ended up resigning from the firm, and then the suit was settled. 
Mueller also worked for a year at an associate in the San Francisco Office of Immigration Attorney Firm, Kurowski, Pervs, and Vogue. He left in 2012 for reasons that have not been disclosed, but I feel like now we're starting to get those patterns. Quote, he was a very, very hard worker. He approached college in a very regimented manner, unlike most of our classmates, myself included. And they said that he said they saw no signs of criminality during his years at Pomona College. Not only was Mueller known as a good student and a good worker, but he was also in top physical condition, running five miles a day before class and work. He thought that one day Mueller would be, quote, sitting behind a desk in, ele- in an elected capacity, not sitting in a jail cell. And this news comes as a total surprise. Any abnormality he might have shown in college was his drive. In 2013, the California Bar Association suspended Mueller's license and began disciplinary proceedings that led him to his disbarment. A court in January issued a default judge saying Mueller failed to refund $1,250 to a client and had told a client that he had filed necessary immigration papers when he had not. In June of 2015, Mueller broke into a home in Dublin, California, 40 miles away from Vallejo, California. During the incident, the owner of the house managed to detect Mueller and he fled from the scene, leaving his phone behind. And police tracked the phone to Mueller's mom and she revealed that the phone belonged to her son, who was staying at her cabin in South Lake Tahoe. Police arrested Mueller at the lake home in connection to the burglary. There, Sergeant Misty Caruso, who was on the scene for the Dublin PD, found a piece of evidence. A pair of blacked-out swim goggles with a single strand of blonde hair. And this is where Misty Caruso linked Mueller to Denise Huskins' case. In addition to the Dublin home invasion and the kidnap charges, Palo Alto and Mountain View police suspect that Mueller may have been linked to 2009 robberies from their cities, though they haven't made any arrests or accusations to this day. In an email to the San Francisco Chronicle during the kidnapping hoax, someone who claimed to be behind the abduction of the Vallejo couple also boldly stated that he or she was part of a wide ring of a wide car thief ring in the Bay Area, stealing cars to make some quick cash. And the email sent to the newspaper described the ring as, quote, a sort of Ocean's Eleven, gentlemen criminals who only took stuff that was insured from people who could afford it. Once Mueller was arrested, we learned what had happened to Denise when she was taken out of the house. Denise was placed into the trunk of Aaron's Toyota Camry, and she was driven to Mueller's parents' South Lake Tahoe home. There, he opened the trunk, grabbed her shoulders, pulled her out, and said, quote, Do not speak. Do not scream. You're going to make this a lot harder on yourself. Denise said that even though she was wearing duct-taped swim goggles, she could tell that she was still in broad daylight. She said that she could smell pine trees and she could tell that they were alone somewhere in the woods. Mueller then grabbed Denise's feet and dragged her into what felt like concrete underneath her back. Once he got her inside, he said, quote, hold on, I have to finish getting ready. Denise thought, quote, ready for what? And she said that every horror movie she's ever seen became flashing through her mind and that her last moments on this earth were going to be like all of those sinister things that she'd seen in the movies. She then heard the ripping of duct tape and the scrubbing of what sounded like a brush, and Denise was then walked through a house where she felt carpet underneath her feet, and she was brought into a bed where she was sat. The kidnapper then sat down next to her and said, quote, This wasn't meant for you. This was meant for Aaron's ex, Andrea. And Denise said, which 
I didn't mean to laugh at this, but when you laugh, when you see it in the docuseries, it's kind of like, oh yeah, like I, I see why she has that tone. But she goes, Denise said that she went, quote, what the fuck? This is about her in her head. She's probably like this damn girl, <laughs> stupid ex-girlfriend is ruining my life. Mueller, the kidnapper, then went on to tell Denise that he was part of a black market company who kidnapped people for money. He said that they had given Aaron instructions and that she was going to be released within 48 hours. Denise did not believe for a second that she was going to be released, and she was also drugged at this point. So she knew that while she was isolated and alone in this cabin in the woods with a stranger, that something was going to happen. But the kidnapper got up and she fell asleep. When Denise woke up, she said that she could tell it was still the same day and she heard some happy pop music that was playing. Denise said that the weirdest thing about this music was that she liked it because she said that it made her feel somewhat normal which good on her because I'd be like, this is my earth side hell is this crazy pop music as I'm being kidnapped in the woods. Denise said that Mueller took her on routine bathroom breaks and would guide her to the bathroom. And while on these walks, Mueller would tell her how he used to struggle with insomnia. (laughs) Again, I'd be like my earth side hell. You can keep that to yourself. Denise said that as the first day went on, Mueller seemed thoughtful and kind and that If she just stayed calm, she could continue doing this and she'd be fine and it would all be over and she could possibly be released. But then, later on that night, when Mueller came back, his demeanor had shifted. Mueller walked in and said, quote, We have a problem. We don't have any collateral to make sure that you're not going to go speak to the police. So, one of us is going to have sex with you. We're going to record it. And if you go and speak to the police, we're going to release it on the internet. Mueller then sets up the camcorder and says, quote, It's going to be me who has sex with you. I want you to know that I'm going to be gentle. And then Mueller climbed on top of Denise and began kissing her. Denise was frozen. She was absolutely petrified. And she knew that if she fought him, it would make things a lot worse. She said that she wanted it to end and be done and then just try and keep herself alive. Once he finished, Mueller brought Denise into the bathroom and told Denise that because she was a good girl, she can take the goggles off of her eyes once he leaves the room. When Mueller left the room, Denise removed the goggles and stared at herself in the mirror. She said that when she looked at herself, she was completely detached. She climbed into the shower and curled into a ball, losing every bit of hope that she had to escape. The next morning, at the 28 hours kidnap mark, Denise woke up to the pop music and the kidnapper cleaning. She said that the windows were duct taped up and the door was locked and she had no way out. Mueller then knocked on the door and Denise put the goggles back over her eyes and he came in and told her, quote, they've lost contact with Aaron. Mueller then said, quote, my associate, this is where it gets weird. That's why I'm saying like, keep in mind the amount of people. Mueller then said, quote, my associates are coming. I'm going to give you a sedative. And when they get here, pretend you're asleep. They're not as nice as me. Denise then took the sedative and then heard a car pull up to the house. Denise said that she heard Mueller and someone else talking and that she could tell that it was heated. And then there was a slam at the door. Mueller came back into into Denise's room and said, quote, it's been decided. We're going to record a proof of life. And that's where the recording that was sent to the Chronicle came into play. However, once they finished recording the proof of life, Mueller told Denise that his associates have another demand. 
Mueller said, quote, The footage from yesterday wasn't good enough. We'll have to record us having sex again. This time, it has to look consensual. It has to look like we're in a relationship, that we've been having an affair. Denise said that she had no idea what that meant, but all she knew was that, during this time, she wasn't going to be able to detach, just like she'd done the day before. She was going to have to be present during the entire ordeal. Mueller then gave Denise a blindfold to swap out for the swim goggles, and he leaves. Denise takes off her goggles, and she sees two nips and two glasses of red wine, and she was horrified because she said that it was making it look like it was a date. Denise then drank both nips and chugged one of the glasses of wine, and Mueller knocked and came back inside, and Denise at this point had wrapped the blindfold around her eyes. Mueller then laughed and said, quote, Oh, you started without me. He then told Denise that if he tapes her eyes shut, it'll just look like her eyes are closed on camera. Denise said that it was at this point that she just wanted to get it over with, and that no matter what Mueller did, she wasn't going to break. So she did what she could to keep herself alive, and Mueller raped her a second time. At the 40 hours kidnapped, Denise was awoken in the middle of the night to a knock. Mueller came in and said, quote, I want to show you something. Denise lifted up the goggles, just enough to see, and it was the video of her dad talking to the media, pleading for Denise's safe return. Denise began sobbing, and Mueller placed his hand on her back and said, quote, It must feel real now. Mueller then said, quote, It's time to go home. Then, they go outside, get into the car. Denise is still wearing her goggles, and he gave her another dose of the sedative. Mueller told Denise that he was not going to be dropping her off in Vallejo because there were too many police there, so he would be taking her to his parent, her parents' home in Huntington Beach. Denise fell asleep and was awoken by Mueller shaking her awake. The goggles had been removed and her eyes had been taped shut. Mueller told her that Aaron had gone to the police, so she was going to have to go talk to them. But he said that when she do, it was really important that she didn't tell them two things. The first was that the associates were former military, and the second that she could not tell police was that they had sex. Mueller then said that they will always be watching her, and not just her, but her entire family and Aaron as well. Mueller then helped Denise out of the car and told her to count to ten when she hears the car pull away. Denise heard the grumble of the car, and she took a few deep breaths. She then took the tape off of her eyes, and she began to walk. She said the first thing she noticed was a big bush that had bloomed with purple morning glories. She said that she looked to her right, and she saw the sign, quote, Utica Street which was the street that she had walked down thousands of times in her life. This was the street that Denise had grown up on, and she knew, at that moment, that she was home. In 2016, Mueller pled guilty to the kidnapping of Denise Huskins. He told the court, quote, I'm sick with shame that my actions have brought such devastation. I hope my imprisonment can bring some closure to Aaron and Denise, and I'm prepared for any sentence the court imposes. Mueller wasn't sentenced until 2022 and he pled no contest to two counts of forcible rape and guilty to robbery of an inhabited dwelling, residential burglary, and false imprisonment, and he received a 40-year sentence for federal crimes. Mueller was sentenced to an additional 31 years in state prison, and the Federal Bureau of Prisons lists his estimated release date as 2049, with Mueller serving both of these sentences concurrently. So, the Vallejo police got a lot of flack, not only from Denise, Aaron, and the community, but also the entire world. 
They had deemed Aaron guilty from the beginning, and they had confidently gone through their, quote, investigation, ignoring leads, ignoring evidence, ignoring due process, and honestly, ignoring integrity. The South Lake Tahoe lead could have actually led detectives to Mueller by placing the track phone near his parents' home. Thus, they could have caught Denise while she was still at the home. And he had been named a suspect, Mueller, in three home invasion attacks in Mountain View and Palo Alto in 2009 and 2012 that all had resembled Denise's kidnapping. But because they were pegged as liars, Denise and Aaron almost lost their jobs. And if, weren't, if it weren't for Mueller's mess up at the second home, their entire lives actually would have fallen apart. The city of Vallejo ultimately paid Denise and Aaron $2.5 million for completely botching the case. But as I'm sure everyone listening knows, the damage was already done. And quote, the depth of the transgression continued to reveal itself. Denise and Aaron went on to publish a book called Victim F, and they go into really grave detail about their ordeal in the new Netflix docuseries, American Nightmare. And in addition, this is nuts. A former Vallejo police captain, John Whitney, came forward with an explosive allegation in a complaint that also alleged that city officers bent their badges after killing people, which is also messed up. John recalled that his boss, during the Denise Huskins ordeal, Former police chief Andrew Badu instructed the department spokesperson, Lieutenant Park, to go hard at Denise Huskins after her disappearance. He allegedly said, quote, burn that bitch. I'll let that sink in for a moment. You're a kidnapped rape victim and the police captain is telling the police force to burn you alive at the stake because they think you're a liar. There's that. Thank you for coming to my show today. I hope you take this away as the Vallejo Police Department is probably the worst we've ever heard. Thank you very much. Aaron said, quote, like many victims or many people who have gone through tragedy, you don't get all the answers and that can be a sticking point to recovery. So for us, we don't rely on finding those answers. But we ha- what we have to do is move forward in the unknown and focus on things that matter to the most of us, like our family, our kids, and our work. Those are sustainable things, and having the answers of why they targeted us doesn't change what we do as far as moving forward. I hope people come away from after they see the film that this isn't a bizarre kidnapping. What's quite bizarre is the absolute lack of any sort of investigation. All the evidence was there to catch Mueller and the other perpetrators within the first 24 hours, but the police put their head in the sand and said there was no sky. So that's the scary part, is that the confirmation bias and tunnel vision will just lead them to do nothing. Denise told ABC News, quote, you can't go through any kind of trauma to where it leaves you devastated and in a place where you just think, quote, this is impossible to move forward from. What do I do next? I think ours is an example of that. There is hope. It might take time, and it might be a lot of hard work, but there is hope. And that is the story of Denise Huskins and California's Gone Girl. So, yeah, I would highly recommend going and watching American Nightmare on Netflix because this story is far more crazy than I could have ever described. And honestly, it just really ticked me off while I was watching it because, like, watching these investigators and, like, the things that they said, I'm like, okay, honestly, I know in the moment you feel like this tough guy, but looking at you, you're, like, kind of an idiot. So, but yeah, that's kind of one of the craziest cases I've covered, and it's just crazy in a different way. Like, 
don't know, not only bad police work, but also the fact that I wonder why he, I have a lot of questions. One, why did he release her? Because he seemed really sweet. But then also two, I didn't mention this. I did read, but it's un, it's undetermined that in college, Mueller was diagnosed with both bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. So then I was like, okay, schizophrenia could he have been talking to himself and that was the other voices like he was changing his voice but i think that's that's multiple personality disorder and like um oh my gosh what is it oh it's another kind of personality disorder i I forget but yeah i wondered that could that have been it but denise and aaron said there were three people in the home when she was taken and they didn't catch those other two. And he's claiming he's part of this gang. And she heard the car pull up when he was still in the room with her. So, like, I don't know. There's two other people out there. I feel as though they haven't been caught because there literally hasn't been anybody else caught for this. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm sorry it was just me today. But I think in the next in the next couple ones, they might just be me. Um, but they also might be Chase or they might be my mom. I don't know. We're kind of working some things out. But as always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at crime with a K. If you want to send us a case, you can send it to crime with a K at gmail.com. If you, I don't really know what else. I forget. If you want to just chat, you can DM me. (laughs) I'll chat with you. But otherwise, we will see you on Monday. Bye.